Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of exploring strange new worlds that have nothing to do with Star Trek. Wait a minute. There, that's a thing? Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week we are talking about the perfect space game. Now, of course, as soon as I say that, we have to do divisions and stuff like that. And we will talk about that, but because the, you know, the perfect, you know, the perfect game may be three different games, four different games because of the focus of whatever your game is. And we're going to be talking tabletop. We're going to be talking about, you know, games themselves that are, uh, well, they aren't role-playing games. And also we're going to be talking about video games because when you talk about space games, there's been a quite a bit of uh, uh, what do they call that when all the things come together? Synchronicity. No, but that's but but nice try. Thanks for playing. There <laughs> uh, a similitude? No, no. It's, it's like they said where your phone basically is is your television. It's your your recorder. It's your phone. It's your you know internet. Everything becomes like one thing. So uh, right now, um, you know the. the uh, computer games have really blossomed because uh, it used to be that when you played a computer game, you knew what you were playing. It was probably going to be a shoot 'em up You know, you're going to get on there, they're going to throw waves of, of, of invaders or uh, 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 weird bug-like alien creatures swooping around and you'd be shooting the hell out of them either from your spaceship or from your ground station. And... Uh, that's that was what space games were like, or you were in an asteroid field, or something. It was very simple. There was very very obvious parameters about what you were doing, and it and it grew from there. Uh, it uh, uh, you, you end up with uh, later on like Quanon Masters and uh, or was it Ur Masters? I can't remember. Uh, and there were other games where you started actually exploring you know, space. And one of the very earliest space games that was more than just a shoot-em-up, uh, a shooter, was a game called Universe that I played on my Atari computer. And it required two disks, a two-disk drive, in order to play it effectively because there was so much disk swapping going otherwise that it was ridiculous. That doesn't include the third store-your-game <laughs> store disk. Because you had to have another one to, you know, so that between the between uh, booting up the game, and uh, so that and but that game was great, and it had a lot of the features that are so uh, predominant in um, a lot of the games today. All right, well, let's move on to our our next section: ship choice. Okay, so when you Ooh. play a space game, what kind of ships? What what you know? What's what do you want your ship to be like? 
Do you want to start off with the Enterprise or do you want to start off with something smaller? Work up to it. What's what's your what's your jam? Hmm. Now it would be nice to start off with the Enterprise, but that's assuming that the background of your game is that hey, look, we're being backed by a government, so they're going to give us a decent ship. Now, if you're being backed by a private investor or let's say certain games, you might, oh, it's an archaeological dig, so you're funded by the University of Mars. You're not going to get quite as good a ship as if you were backed by a government. Right, but, you know, good and size are not the same thing because the default ship you get... Uh, in FTL 2448, you win in a poker game. And it's ginormous. But it's also used as an understatement. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's barely functional. It's got it's operating at about 10% efficiency. Yeah, I I would let's see. Build it at startup and enhance or buy at startup and replace with upgraded ship. If if there's ship customization, if that's a big part of it, then I want to start small and build up. Yeah, yeah, I would too. I mean, yeah, you're going to, because... Uh, Jonathan, the question is, do you want that in your game? Not whether it's available. Is that something that you want in your game? I love ship customization. So for me, yes. I love being able to, like like you were talking having those hard points and being able to decide exactly what goes here, what goes here, what goes here. You know, what, what's the optimal layout for my play style? Okay. All right. Go ahead, Trev. I, I would like to be able to build it to, okay, the specifications that I can afford because there's, um, as I said, there's a game supplement called Star Jammer. It came out just a little bit before Starfinder and they allow you to pool your resources to get, because they, they, they kind of do it like, well, you can get a ship, but it's like a one-man fighter and all this, or your party can pool their, their resources, and you can get, like, a little Wayfarer-type crap that, yeah, it's got bunks and a small med bay and a galley, you know, it's something like Serenity. And you can, you know, build on as you get more and more rich and powerful as you adventure. So, yeah, I kind of like the build it, start up, and enhance Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that that's my thing, yeah. Because, again, depending on how easy the ship customization rules are, Starfinder, Pathfinder, um, D20 Future, fine. FTL 2448, <laughs> yeah, I just looked at those and I just went, and everything's going to be pre-made. I am not going through these. I read these rules back when I got the, the, the red and blue, or the red and green book. I'm just like, no. This is for, this is too crunchy for me. Okay. Well, see, a lot of times, you know, in, in these types of games, what they do is they say, you, ha- you have X amount of credits and you can use, and you can use, decide whether you want to spend your money on what goes in the ship or do you want to spend your money on the ship? Okay. And when you spend the money on the ship, what you get is cargo space, you get you know, the toughness of the ship itself, usually the armor, you know, the base armor, maybe its speed is somewhat dependent on that, okay, of how many hard points you have on the ship. 
you know, these things, you know, there's usually a base set of, of things that comes with a particular size ship, type of ship. And then, you know, and you might overbuy the ship. I mean, in a sense, you might buy, I only got enough money for one, one laser cannon. I got three hard points. I'll add to those later, okay? Or you could say, no, no, no. I want some little, you know, bug, okay? I want some little um, uh, ore, ore hauler, and but it's going to have three weapons on it because it's got three equipment points, and I can put mining lasers on those, so I can put I can put blasters on those instead. And it's got and because I'm uh, it, it was designed for mining and therefore producing continuous amounts of energy. It has a heavy power plant. It doesn't have speed for crap. It doesn't have you know very good shields, um, but it uh, uh, but it has an you know uh, but it has a, a good power plant so that whatever I can do, I always have lots of energy for it. I don't run out of energy trying to do things. My guns don't run out of energy. Um, I'm just saying that, see, these are things that you might consider in a game. And, of course, to me, the best game is one where you can do everything. You can make these choices. You can say, I'm going to, you know, uh, you know I, I'm going to buy a ship and it has this on it. And there's going to be, and I can upgrade the systems, but I really can't add anything more to the ship. Okay, which is how some games go. Or I'm going to go and design, I'm going to, I'm going to stipulate how many, uh, how many hard points, how many, uh, how thick is my armor, how, uh, you know, what's my uh, power plant, uh, how much fuel can it carry, uh, you know, what, before I ever, you know, I mean, things like that before, you, and then start, Thinking about the other stuff, like how, you know, what kind of guns? What uh, you know? Um, do I want to have a, a a cargo hold that holds pro products, or I want a cargo hold that holds people? You know, uh, passenger. You know, passenger like you know, like a liner. You know, passenger space, which is a whole different situation. Okay, uh, do you know? Do I? And especially in a lot of games. They make a big difference when it comes to stealth. Certain ships are only certain ships can have stealth, and they've done this in Star Trek and a whole bunch of other things like that. You, you not every ship can have stealth. None of the you know the regular um, uh, Federation ships have have stealth fields. They don't have them. Okay, Klingons have them, Romulans have them, and they had one ship. Uh, and Deep Space Nine, the Defiant, that they the, the Romulans came with a stealth thing and said, okay, we modified it, it'll run on your ship. But nobody else has it in the Federation, okay? So everybody sees the Federation coming. Well, they're trying. Well, they're trying to do the moral high ground thing. Oh, we're not stealthy. We want to be there. And then, like, well, maybe, maybe not. I particularly like stealth because. For a couple of reasons. One is is that let's say I come, I'm going into enemy space, and I don't want to fight anybody. I have to cross enemy space. Nice to have stealth, so you can pass through that area without triggering the bad guys to attack you. Oh no, no, I'm not saying I don't want stealth. I'm just you know kind of playing devil's mm -hmm. advocate for the Federation. They were trying to be 
forthright and upstanding, you know, like, oh, we were not, we're not going to be stealthy. We're going to, you're going to know we're here. That's how we are. Oh, no. If I'm me, no. Me, no. If I have a, if I can go to a stealth device on my ship, you damn well believe it'll be on there and (laughs) I'll get a power core to make sure it's on as much as possible, you know. (laughs) So it doesn't crap out. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ways that they restrict stealth because of the fact is it does do that, okay, is they usually make it very expensive in terms of power. Yeah. The yeah. Uh, the rules for Starfinder, uh, I think they finally got it to where its cloaking devices are now in the actual books. It's not third-party stuff. And even then, they have battery limits or how many minutes a day you can do it. And yeah, because trying to make yourself invisible to vision and sensors, that that's a very, that that's a power sink. That takes a lot of power to divert light around a craft that's a couple hundred feet long. Right, and you'd like to talk about tech levels, and a lot of times it takes certain levels of tech to do it too. Yeah, um... And ships from certain cultures may not be high enough tech level in order to do that. Let's see. We'll use the OGL. I think cloaking devices don't come in until at least seven, which is the gravity age, where you start having, you know, gravitic engines and whatnot. Yeah, I think PL7 is where like displacer screens and sensor jammers come into array. If you're dealing with the OGL, because they even transplanted it through third-party stuff over to Pathfinder, the the PL0 to PL9, you're not getting true cloaking devices like, you know, the Klingon, the Romulans have until PL8, where you're just invisible to vision and electronic sensors. The only way that you can bypass that is if you have a PL9 sensor. Like, you know, for example, the ones on the Ardana New. Their sensors can pick apart everything. So, but yeah, I no, no, I, I'm not arguing against stealth. I'm just, as I said, I'm just saying the Federation didn't do it because they were trying to be the the bigger person, so to speak, and not be, um, it, what's the word, duplicitous. Right. Barring Section 31, is- quote is like what kind of, I guess you could say, how much, quote, realism is, is put in your space game? Because, like, what what remi- what makes me think of um, Mass Effect series, um, your first ship in the first game, the SR Normandy, or SR-1 Normandy, was called a stealth ship. And its stealth technology consists of not radiating electromagnetic spectrum. That is a legitimately stealth ship. You could still look. I mean, they, they even have a character say. I mean, if, if they looked out the window and, and saw us, they you know we'd be we'd be screwed. But because it, it was because the idea was at least, at least in that universe that ships are engaging so far apart, you're not going to see it <laughs> with your own naked eye. It's funny you mentioned that, Jonathan. Uh, there's a PDF, and the, this is an off play of the vehicle rules in Pathfinder's Ultimate Combat. The way that they do stealth for this particular PDF is, yeah, it's the plating and your placement of your ship. You make yourself, oh, there's a ship coming. Turn around so we offer as little sensor profile as possible. And yeah. between that and the electromagnetic plating or whatever type of plating it is, the 
the special paint job or whatever, it severely decreases your chances of being seen. Obviously, if they turn, oh, let's turn around 45 to get, oh, there they are. And or otherwise, you got to track them and move your ship um, imperceptibly to keep that sensor profile low. That was another way I've seen, quote unquote, and the air quotes are here, folks, cloaking devices. It's just <laughs> ship positioning and the outer hull, how the outer, uh, how the outer hull is comprised. Let's try that. Yeah. Does it absorb yeah. radar? Does it reflect it? By sticking certain things out from the ship, you can actually make it look like either A, another ship, or B, uh, from the, the, the sensor profile, or B, uh, look like a rock, or other things like that. So you can fool sensors sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and again, that, that, that would be just you know a sensor work, like a sensor jammer type thing. It's like, oh, it's a derelict ship. It's just floating there. No life signs. Okay, we can go on. Right. Or you can even make it really big. I mean, no one has ever done it, but I always wanted someone to have an inflatable, like, battle cruiser <laughs> that they just basically put out around, you know, in front of their ship, you know, kind of went over it. it looks like a big, giant battle cruiser. And they're all like, oh, let's stay away from that thing. You know, and, and they're really like a little tug. <laughs> Or until they, yeah, or until they they fire a some type of uh, Gauss weapon, they pop the balloon. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that would that would mean they were attacking a battleship. So you know, you get what you you get what you deserve. You know, but, uh, I I was uh, uh, reading a book uh, that I, I never quite finished, uh, but because uh, uh, it's a series, uh, and uh, they started off uh, they were a reconnaissance ship. But they were they were actually inside of an of an asteroid, and um, they wanted to make sure that nobody could detect them. So what they did was is that they 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 basically took this cylinder that they stuck inside the asteroid and they cooled it down to like negative two hundred degrees with all this mass. They just cooled it down, and everybody inside who's who serve it's a military ship. And they're serving inside, and they're all living in spacesuits because it's so freezing cold in the thing. Okay, and then time passes, months go by, and it slowly warms up from their just their normal use of equipment. Okay, that that uh, heat sink slowly warms up, slowly warms up. They've got insulation around it to try to keep any heat from you know transferring, but they they don't want their asteroid to appear to be any hotter than any of the other asteroids that are around because they're like you know, and then and and then you get to the end of their their tour of duty and they're running around in speedos because it's 105 degrees inside <laughs> the ship cuz it's heated up but they can't get rid of any heat you know <laughs> it's, a, it's a closed system so they're like you know oh and they're like, how much longer, uh, Captain? Oh, we're only here for another week. It's only going to get another 10 degrees warmer. 10 degrees, that's 115. <laughs> it's like, keep hydrated. Keep hydrated, that's for sure. Yeah. So they're literally, you know, they're all, you know, they're all glistening and stuff like that. They're literally wearing next to nothing. Uh, I think they were gluing, I think they were gluing their articles of rank on their shoulders at that point. <laughs> <laughs> no, the pins there on the, the edge of the Speedo. Right. They're lucky going, oh, you're oh, you're an admiral. 
You don't want everybody to be looking at your package whenever they're talking to you. So well, yeah, putting, no. Gluing them up on your neck or on a choker or something like that. They, yeah, they had yeah. ways. They had stuff. But anyways, but I always thought that was interesting that they that was how they dealt with this. They didn't have any fancy, you know, uh, uh, active tracking. Okay. And now I'm reminded of the whole Captain Jack thing where he's there, where he's there naked. Wait a minute. Where did you have that? That pistol. Never mind. We don't want to know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and now active uh, active uh, counter electronic measures. A lot of times, what they do is that they have a big broadcaster, and they're literally flooding, you know, the signals back. You know, sending all kinds of false signals or whatever, like reverse pings. Yeah, sensor. Yeah, sensor. Sensor jammer. Right. Yeah. Right. Or a sensor illusions or things like that, and you can put those on drones. And other things like that. So that's that's how you basically screw with your opponent. It doesn't. They know where. They know you're there. There's no way of avoiding that. And, and if you think about it, most ships coming in, if they've got you know like a fusion drive or something, everybody's going to know they're coming. Okay. But the question is, do you know exactly where they are? Can you you know if you decide you want to stop them? What are you going to be firing at? Are you going to be firing at? There might be like three places, you know, uh, uh, three fusion uh, uh, sites, or are they just emitting, you know, microwaves and things like that from some broadcaster, you know, uh, from a, something that's a hundred, you know, hundred fifty feet off their bow, you know, because there's no dragon space, so you can stick those things out there. Yeah, and as, if if you're you know coasting in. You know, whatever, or, or your acceleration is too high. You know, they 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 don't know exactly where you are. They send a, a missile, it blows up, and okay, fine. It it you know, there's no concussion in space. Okay, so unless you have a really massive missile attack, you're probably you know, or you can fill an absolutely huge area full of BBs or something like that. You may not be able to do any damage to them. So all right, so. Like I said, there's um, so there's the two options: either build it uh, from uh, the way you want it at startup, or you buy it at startup and replace it with either uh, with an upgrade ship that has bigger, better, whatever it is that you like. You know, um, and I've seen both ways. Uh, uh, most people, pref- I would say that uh, the the most popular thing is to upgrade the ship. Okay. And uh, uh, I mean, I mean, not upgrade the ship, but actually buy it and replace it with an upgraded ship because of the fact that you get more variety. Because otherwise, you may end up with one ship the entire game. I mean, you've done nothing but upgrade it the entire, and you never get another ship. You are it's the only ship you got. Maybe the only way you get another ship is if you start the game over again. As another race, then you get their ship, <laughs> and uh, and that's and that's what happens. And um, so it, you you sometimes uh, you get you get a lot more variety in how the ship will look a lot of times when you do that uh, do the replace the ship. Okay, so um, all right, so let's talk about equipment. All right, and equipment is uh, like say the the, the sensors. Uh, the teleporters, the the weapons, the shields, uh, maybe you know if it doesn't already come, you know uh, the um, uh, the foods, uh, the the 
the holes, the, 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 the person, the people holes, the whatever, you know, uh, things like med bays, things like, uh, you know, um, uh, power plants, uh, sensor pods, uh, drones, and of course, missiles and other things like that. So, uh, you know, equipment, okay? Sometimes, like I said, it's like with, I talked about the ship. It comes with a ship and you can't change it. You bought the ship. This, you know, these things you get and you can't change them. Like WYSIWYG, the yeah. Well, this ship has stealth, for example. It's built into the ship. These ships don't have stealth because they're not built that way. Okay, so that's, that's one of your options there, okay? Um... Uh, but then there's the second option, which is, yeah, you can't change the things that are on the ship, the systems that are on the ship, but you can upgrade them. Okay, and that's where you have fun basically getting alien tech and trying to mate it with your, your ship. And, and maybe you, that's where you need a, uh, uh, in your crew somebody who's a really good Xeno engineer because they can actually make the AC and DC work together. You know, uh, yeah, I I remember uh, uh, reading a story where they said, you know, uh, we have a really hard time understanding the technology of this alien race because we use fusion by taking things, uh, atoms, and putting them under extreme pressure, you know, and forcing them together and, and, and until they fuse, and then there's a big, huge release of energy, and, you know, and, and that's how our, our engines work. They kind of talk them into it. <laughs> and I was about to make the joke. They sweet talk them. Yeah. Uh, and um, if you, have you ever read Variable Star, uh, the uh, post-death uh, Heinlein book? No, I have not. It was written by uh, – uh, it, 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 uh, it, it was written by uh, Spider Robinson – uh, with from notes that were uh, left by Heinlein, and of course a, a, a lifetime of inspiration from reading his novels and such, and uh, and the, the ships uh, were powered by antimatter. All right, and, uh, and 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 they said, well, where's the antimatter come from? He says, well, that's kind of hard to explain because you get in there and the other guy has this antimatter. And you just kind of take it from him and just kind of add to it, juggling it around until the next guy comes in to relieve you, and then you hand it off to them. He says, but where's the antimatter come from? It just kind of happens. <laughs> <laughs> and only certain people can do it, you know, and they can only do it for so long. And the worst thing that can happen is, is where somebody basically literally drops the ball. And the antimatter disappears, and then it's really hard to get the antimatter going again. And all I'm hearing is Dr. Evil when they're trying to explain, you just don't get it, do you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, so, and that's why they like to have, like, you know, uh, in, in all the starships in that story, they had, like, three people who can do it. Okay. Uh, and so they, so, you know, the, the uh, Everybody get everybody gets a break and you know gets a sleep gets a sleep and also, you know, uh, uh, also gets some time off. Okay, and they just basically do regular shifts and pat you know just hand it off to each other and it's fine. Where 
where you have a problem is where you know you have uh, two people. Okay, so now they're each doing like twelve-hour shifts, which is really wearing on them, and then they go and collapse. You know, and uh, you know, and 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 you know, try to get their head back together again, and then come back and have to take it from the other person who, by the time they're handing it off, is exhausted. Okay, and the absolute worst—well, not the absolute worst. The the second from absolute worst is where you only have one person, which means that either they're just stimmed where they don't sleep at all, or every day they have to start it again. And so the ship just basically floats in space until the next time somebody can get the antimatter going and then the ship starts moving again. And uh, the worst case scenario, of course, is where you got nobody. And then you're just floating through space. Yeah, no, that, that, that system needs to go. Yeah, no. It can happen. It, it, it actually, uh, in, in that particular novel, they talked about where that did happen. They lost a colony ship. Time passed. And the guy who actually could do it but just couldn't keep it going because it was too hard had two granddaughters who both gained the ability. And so the three of them started the ship going again. They reached their destination and were able to you know, send a message saying, hey, we're alive. But a whole two generations passed on the ship before they were able to get moving again. You can have various types of drives uh, on ships, you know, uh, that can come from aliens, which is a good reason to meet aliens and have interactions with them because it can open up the, the uh, technology things that you're allowed to. Most of the space games I played that are on, on lo- uh, online or on computer, um, you... It's more like, okay, the best, you know, each, you go to various worlds and you have a predominance of their tech, but they always have some other tech from other worlds, okay? And um, it's very rare for you, unless unless you literally haven't gone there yet, to not, you know, be able to find the uh, the kind of, uh, the, 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 the tech you want, because uh, you don't know that it exists and such, you know. Uh, but... That happens a lot in actually RPGs, and it also happens in board games because you'll be playing a game and you'll you'll go to a world and you'll flip over a card and it says some kind of strange drive is available at this world. And you're like, that might not have appeared in the game if I hadn't flipped that card over. That particular run through that game would have been completely different, you know. But uh, in a computer game, usually, you know, if you can tr- if you can travel throughout the different places, eventually. You will get you'll get all the gear that that's available. So uh, that's one of the advantages of of you know games where you're they're they're in, they they they're intentionally hiding information or the scope of the game world is larger than you the player can consume at one time in one get in one game campaign. Uh, the third option, which is is completely a la carte. Where you know it's just basically it's based upon you know do you do you have a place to attach it you know do you uh, is there enough room uh, in your ship to put that drive is there enough room to uh, you know can you only have three pieces of equipment you have to choose which one or uh, uh, or can you bolt some of it on the outside if you bolt it on the outside then. It's outside the ship's hull, and therefore it's it can be targeted by your enemies. Um, 
but you could put more stuff on your ship. It's great if a game gave you that option, saying is that you can do more, but these are the downsides. You're going to be living your acceleration because, you know, things will tear off if you go too fast. Go ahead, Jonathan. Also, if you're doing like a, a generation ship, you can have it where, you know, you literally make the ship builder at bigger as you go. If you're playing in that kind of space game where it's, you know, travel, you don't have any kind of faster than light travel. So if you're flying from Earth to Alpha Centauri, that's four years. While you're on the way, might as well add some more space. Especially if you, you know, and if it's a 40-year journey, a 400-year journey. Well, how do you add space? Well, usually you have extra resources you're either picking up at your original destination or along the way if you're, you know, if if you're have like a ram scoop at the front of your ship or something like that, or or if you're playing like a a very again like a, a generation type, you know, interstellar trader where you you do a circuit that takes like a thousand years to get you know one circuit all the way around, but you're making stop offs, and you then you know each hop is about forty fifty years between each leg. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, if we were to go to another star, you know, we have that whole Oort cloud, and supposedly it goes a really far distance out. There are still objects really far away, almost up to like like a light year away. So you could be stopping at those as you go along and harvesting and materials that are in those objects as you go. Yeah. See, the the thing with the a la carte based on hard points and equipment slots. Starfinder has their shipbuilding thing where they give you equipment bays. Now, you have systems that you can get, and you can get as many systems as you want, but the equipment bays are things like your transporters, your med bay, your science lab, your tech lab, uh, your arcane lab, since it's Starfinder, um, passenger quarters, cargo, extra cargo space, passenger seating, environmental chambers if you have like oh we have this alien who can only you know we need him to have his own quarters that has methane and then he'll come out of his airlock out of his quarters wearing a tank all that stuff is equipment base and depending on the size and type of your ship the only way you're going to get all the cool stuff is get the really big ship where it's two three four five hundred feet long in a Ooh, that's a big ship. Okay. Yeah. Well, that would be the colossal size, you know, starship. But if you're doing, you know, the small size, which I think is 20 to 40 feet long, so it might be a shuttle, you might get one equipment bay. And if it's a shuttle, most likely it's you're either going to have a cargo hold or passenger seating. Now, something like a Wayfarer, where it's like a small explorer about the size of Serenity, you might get two or maybe even three expansion bays. So you can have, and because guest quarters in that system, you just pay build points for. That's not an expansion bay. But you might have a cargo hold, a med bay, you know, where Simon could do his work, and passenger seating, you know. Well, it might make a difference if you were, if your passengers were like luxury passengers, 
where you were you have a separate section for them versus the crew quarters. Oh in yeah. Serenity, in Serenity, uh, they uh, they literally live right next to each other. You know, the, the crew and the they just they they were all together in one little spot. Yeah, it was the hallway that you climbed down. The door was like below the hallway. Yeah. Right. Right. Except for Inara, who lived in the other shuttle. Yeah. Right. She had her own shuttle. And that's one of the things that a bigger ship a lot of times comes with that that you don't get in smaller ships, which is something to land. You might not be able to go down to planets because you don't have uh, a ship that can land. You know, it's designed for space. It's not designed for, for landing on a world. It's not an aerospace or no, what's the word? Damn it. Transatmospheric. There we go. Yeah, you you don't have well. Also, in in Starfinder, I notice as I said, I've adopted their because I run all path. You know, my D twenty is all evolved to Pathfinder First Edition, so I'm you. I have stuff that integrates Starfinder in, so you can play it all as one system. And Starfinder, they say if your ship is any bigger than huge, no, it is not transatmospheric. That's just due to size limitations. It will not traverse atmosphere. Yeah, because all that mass, you have to. You know, unless you have wings, you know, huge wings, you know, I mean, really huge wings, then you're not going to, you're basically coming down, balancing yourself on the, uh, on, on your tail, you know. Now, if you've got things like anti-gravity where you can negate the weight of your ship, then yeah, yeah, you could take those big giant ships and land them. In the Pararodan series, they had ships that, that weighed, you know, like a million tons, and when they landed, they had to keep the anti-gravity going and, and the ship's drive going slightly. Otherwise, the ship would literally sink into the ground about a third of its length. Well, yeah, because these things <laughs> weigh hundreds of tons. Well, it's I like said, Rob- a, mil- a million tons. A million yeah. tons, yeah. And it's like with, with um, Robotech, they had all anti-grav. Yeah, you could have the SDF-1 land back on Earth because it had... Some antigravs, granted, most of the antigrav pods shot through the top when they tried to activate them, but once it landed back on Earth, it was there to stay. It could not launch back into space again. It ended up, you know, standing in battleoid form in the middle of the lake there for the rest of the time it was there until it was destroyed. So, yeah, if you're going to land on Earth and your ship is big enough that you don't have the antigrav systems, you're a permanent resident. So that's why a lot of times they say smaller ships are transatmospheric, and in Starfinder they just put, if your ship is any bigger than huge size, take a shuttle or have transporters or something, you know. And games can do that. I mean, that's that's another option. It does. You you know, you go to the space station and uh, or a shuttle literally just comes up basically. You you hop on the shuttle, you go down to the planet. That's, I mean, there's no, you've got an airlock on your ship. It doesn't mean that you can't connect to another ship. So, yeah, you, you don't have to carry your own shuttle. You can rent a taxi. Incursion, uh, they uh, not only had a ship's um, uh, shuttle, the captain's uh, uh, jig, uh, they also had these big cans that they could basically launch out of the ship and they would, like, you know, track themselves down and land at the starport and that's how you got your uh uh your products from you know on onto a world 
I remember that that was FTL. Yeah, I remember the the. Can- I thought it was in Incursion too. Nope, nope, just in FTL. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember the whole picture. I think it's in the second book, the Green Book, or no? But it shows the whole cycle of. Oh, he gets shot up into space and brought back down, then transported back to the shooter. And it's a cycle. And so that's how they recycle these these 10-foot by 10-foot cylinder cargo canisters to send them up to the ship and they refill them. And yeah, it's like Yeah, you buy you buy new stuff and, and, and take it up to the, to take it to the next port. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that yeah. That was an FTL. I remember that. Sell sell deer, buy low, yeah. So, okay, so let's move on to exploration. To me, exploration has to be part of the game, you know, because I, I don't really I don't really like to play games where I come in and all I'm doing is fighting other people and never actually getting to, you know, it's a defensive fight. You know, I never actually get to go to any new places or things. So, uh, so uh, and, it, and if you do have exploration in your game, it kind of depends on what you know. Okay, so the first option uh, is you know nothing except the nearby planets. We're literally taking off from Earth or whatever our world is and flying out and ch- and maybe going landing, you know, at, at a, a smaller uh, uh, a, a smaller gravity world to refuel to get topped off, and then we're going to go and and start exploring places further away, like you know. I mean, there was a time when people didn't know that there were all those moons around Jupiter and Saturn. And, um, you know, they didn't know about the moons that were, you know, uh, and, you know I mean, we, we knew every, uh, for a long time, uh, we know all the different planets that are around us, but there are a lot of dwarf planets that we haven't discovered. If we're going to go to another, the next star system over, we, until recently, we didn't know if they had any planets or not. So it might be that's all you you have is just you just know the nearby planets. So you know nothing beyond that. You don't even know where, it, where the resources are in the asteroid belt and what it looks like or anything. Yeah, see that that's a matter of scale. You know nothing except nearby planets. Now I read that as being the first and probably smallest. Uh, the it, it's a matter of scale. If you're just getting out into space, those nearby planets are going to be those in your very system. You're you're going to have just so if we're stepping off of Earth in a spaceship, well, we've already gone to the moon, we've sent landers to Mars, we've sent probes to the rest of our solar system, and they've since left. So now we have cool pictures of what to expect with Mars and its two moons, Jupiter and its what Christ, twenty-five moons or something like that. Jupiter just all had, the moons. Yeah, yeah. You know Saturn with the rings, Uranus and Neptune, Pluto in the Kuiper Belt, the Oort cloud. We have all that due to various probes that have either landed on said celestial bodies or orbited them and then shot off into space. So again, it's a matter of scale. Now nearby planets. Let's say we get alien intervention. And so now we know all of our system because they may have scanned it. Plus, let's say they come from Alpha Centauri. Well, now these Alpha Centaurans have given us digital um, celestial data on their system. So 
it would be quote unquote a nearby planet because we now can get to it due to Alpha Centaurans, you know, giving us tech or whatever. So yeah, it, it it's a matter of scale, and that would be something if it's a role playing game. That would be something that the GMS deal with. Okay, how far do I want these guys to get in their starter ship? Is it intra-system travel or inter-system travel? Well, it's usually both. Yeah, again, it depends on what type of game you're running. If you're just running... Exactly. Well, it depends on the intent of the game, yeah. I mean, you could theoretically set up a triangle trade between the local plans that you know of and... Uh... You know, the pirates could be out there in the Oort clouds, and uh, or they could literally be people that are uh, just trying to keep you guys from ever uh, building up your fleet to the point where you think it's safe to go out and uh, and go to another uh, world another, until someone basically shows up and says, oh, you know, well, if you help me fly my ship... Uh, then we'll take on these pirates, get rid of them, and then uh, you guys can leave your world. And that could be like the first quest that you have, which is to get rid of the pirates. So, sounds an awful lot like Fringeworthy. I was going to say, yeah, your first quest, getting rid of pirates. What kind of a stupid game idea? Oh, wait a minute, never mind. Yeah, um, yeah. but I, I, as I said, the local planets, the nearby planets, again, that's a matter of scale, and that's just whatever the game decides or the game master decides, yes. Yeah, and it, it really makes a big difference as to how your, um, uh, how your star drive works. That, I, oh, oh, yeah. GMTA, I was just thinking that. If you've got, you know, like a fusion drive, oh, that might get you around your system. It might still take weeks to get to one of Jupiter's moons, but yeah. And then you have, you know, something like a gravitic drive, which means, yeah, you can get to Alpha Centauri in two months. You've just expanded your scope because of the higher tech level of the drive. Yeah. Right. Well, and, you know, a lot of times they use things like wormholes, especially in a lot of the modern games where you literally go through star points. And um, there's a matter of fact, there's a whole series called Star Point Gemini, which, uh, which has a whole network of them. Oh, what was the other? The other, it was, a, it was an older role playing game. It went to D20 recently, or not recently. Fading Suns, where you had the jump gate network, and yeah, the the Imperium was regressing, but you still were able to jump throughout the galaxy because of these ungodly high tech artifacts that were basically from a previous race. But because they were powered by the sun, the whole point of Fading Suns is that these gates were shutting down stars. So after a while, systems were getting locked away and you had to rediscover them because of these, you know, using these stargates. And it's like, yeah, again, it's the local group. Again, a lot of these are dependent on scale and tech and wormholes, jump gates. Um, oh God, there's another one in the other verse America, the ITF corridor which you're actually traveling through, believe it or not, the land of the dead. I mean, it's tech-based. Ba- tech no, no, it, it, I'm, I'm kind of on it too myself. But 
basically these cultures travel through the lands of their dead ancestors. And yeah, there's what's called ITF sickness. Yeah, you make a will save, and if you fail it, you're having weird visions of not only dead people, but dead people you may know. Like, oh, hey, Grandpa. Holy crap, it's Grandpa, you know. And so, yeah, that that was something else that they did, and it was a way for the race called the culture, which was this, like, high-tech, nano-tattoo-wearing, genetically perfect race that, you know, they looked at Earth and went, fet. That's how they traveled through their vast galaxies spanning empire was through the ITF corridor, which was their version of hyperspace. Right. So you have things like hyperspace, which is either a different dimension entirely. So you're flying through, you know, some kind of fuzzy goo. Okay. Or, uh, you know, like they did in Babylon five and other things like that. Uh, and the only and the only way you can actually find your way anywhere is either a have a, a, a mapping that, that that lets you go where you want to go, or b someone has hung uh, hyperspace uh, buoys out there that you basically just use them as waypoints. You get to here, you know, you go the the one over in that direct. The one I'm picking up over there gets me closer to my destination. And you basically go from buoy to buoy, waypoint to waypoint until you finally get there. And But by doing it, you save, you know, a thousand fold off of your travel time, okay? Or you could, it could be a kind of a reality overlay where you're not exactly in real space, uh, you're, but you can still see real space. And this is the Star Trek warp drive thing where they're literally stretching themselves you know over like a light year distance and you know snapping together you know constantly so the or the the robotech full drive where basically you are bending space and time if you've got 15 light years distance they basically it's like taking two ends of a piece of paper and pushing it together where you got this big bow on top but what does it look like I'm saying when you're doing it, does, is it one of those things where you just simply do it and 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 the and then bang, you're there? Well, no. It 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 and and the funny thing was, in the Sentinels story that ended up just being three episodes and didn't get into it, they had to go to a comic book and a uh, book form. Oh, oh, it's instantaneous fold, and yes, it's still 2022. And then when other people get out there. No, it's this year. That fold took, yeah, it would have taken you hundreds of years. It still took you three years. You miscalculated how long the trip would take. You made it, but it took you three years longer than you thought it would. So, yeah, there's still time dilation, but it's you're, you're still compressing your start point, your destination point. And, again, it's like folding that piece of paper and bringing those two points on the paper closer together so the time is severely and after a while they got it where it was instantaneous teleportation but that took probably 15 years of work and having to rebuild their ship so yeah you have folding which is just taking the two points and bringing them much closer together you're still kind of bringing you're, you're bridging it with a tunnel but that's how they describe it is you're bringing the two points closer together for you to traverse it easier but yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of what other faster and light. Oh, what's the other one? The Kevin Sorbo series. Andromeda. 
the slipstream, yeah, where you just sort of ride currents through space and it greatly enhances your speed. And of course, now comes to mind the um, Picard. Transwarp conduits that the Borg used. That's another thing. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, I was going to just talk about that because in the uh, video game X, whatever, X2, 3, X Rebirth, uh, X Rebirth is the one I was playing. They literally have faster than light conduits. You literally, it's like, it's, it, 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 it just basically looks like a, a, a bubble train or whatever like that. Uh, uh, you, you know, like what uh, the hyper, the hyperdrive, uh, the hyperloop. Okay, except you can see through it. Okay, and you basically just run through the side of it, and as soon as you're inside of it, it just like kicks you forward at like the speed of light, and it's kind of like a mini game because if you're not careful, you can overrun other people and smash up their ships, or they can smash into you. You can even have combat inside, and you can actually detect signals and things like that from the outside. So if you, when you get near your destination, you can actually exit it normally like you're supposed to, or you can break out and maybe cause damage to your ship by falling out of the corridor improperly. Well, yeah, yeah, that was the whole thing. You know, like The whole thing with Warp Drive was that, and you saw it in... Um, Oh, crap. Into Darkness, where the Vengeance came up behind the Enterprise, and first of all, like, attack at warp, and of course, when they start blowing holes in it, you're seeing people fly out, and, you know, as soon as they hit the warp corridor, they just turn into energy. It's kind of like how the Ardana New in, um, Incursion is. Yeah, if you leave the ship during hyperspace, it is instant matter-to-energy trans conversion, you're dead. But yeah, you 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 saw that in 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 blah, 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 again, into darkness where that warp corridor. As long as you're there in the ship, you're fine because the warp bubble keeps you intact. But as soon as you leave that ship due to a hull breach or whatever, yeah, you get sucked out. And you're gone. Most likely, you die. You know, most likely, yeah. So, but I've never actually seen a game, a video game, where they actually did this. And, you know, I, I myself found it very ty tiresome to go and do the whole little mini game of trying to navigate and not get destroyed by the other ships accidentally or on purpose. Yeah, just get me from point A to point B. Don't make it a chore. Well, no, yeah. I mean, I prefer other things where you do, it's more the second one where you're flying on super speed and if you if anything happens, if anything causes your ship to be disrupted, like running into if mass gets too large, you get into like an asteroid field, or you run you you run into a, a gas cloud, or even there's an anomaly, a, a spatial anomaly nearby, and boom, it kicks you out of your hyperdrive. Well, yeah, gra gravity wells like Star Wars when they said. Yeah, we're getting here to Alderaan, and they got dropped out, and it's because the mass was different. It wasn't the mass of a planet collected. It was a new asteroid belt because Alderaan had been destroyed. Yeah. I did the Kessel Run in seven parsecs. Yeah, you're going to have... Twelve. But yeah, you're going <laughs> to... Star, the Star Wars geek came on, and I know for... Bruce and I know for... Well, no, no, I know for right now is listening going, yeah, it's 12 parsecs, damn it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is that right, Fur? Oh, no, she's, I mean, I know a little more, a lot more of the minutia about Star Wars, but yeah, when certain things happen, she'll scream at the TV like, you know, a guy at a football, watching a football game. But 
But no, you have the whole point of hyperspace in Star Wars is that you have to navigate where you're not hitting massive gravity wells such as stars or planets. What did Han Solo say? Yeah, we could, you know, we could arrive too close to a supernova and that would end your trip real quick, wouldn't it? Yeah, you could appear yeah. in a star. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it was funny. Um, in the Star Wars D20 game, Josie played, basically she was Force-sensitive, acting as a ranger, thought it was magic, and she became our navigator because she knew about stars. And so I, I had fun with her messing up on um, navigation roles, and she's in other dimensions and halfway across the galaxy. And yeah, Oh, no, after a while, she just said, you know, she was like, oh, I won't play this no more. I'm going to keep messing up on, on astrogation because she kept messing it up. So she'd have all these gravity well and dimensional mishaps that if you don't know how to navigate around gravity wells that well, bad things happen. Okay. <laughs> and, Bruce, so, and Bruce has met Josie, so he, he knows how she gets when, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're, so, you're imagining it too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We love you, Josie. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a big question. You know, your, your height, uh, whatever your faster than light travel is, does it take time? You know, you mentioned how, you know, it, it took three years and they got there. You know, there's, uh, in Interstellar, they're like, you know, uh, an hour here is a year on Earth. Well, you know. Well, that's sort of like Einstein's time dilation, too. That's why they're saying, yeah, yeah. Right, right. But that's the, but still, the point is, is that, you know, when you, you're you still traveling, you know, very, very far distance, does it actually take you any time to do it? Is it is it just, you know, uh, you know, once you set your... You plug in your plan into the ship's computer. You know, does it literally just execute it and it's over? Uh, a lot of video games, that's the way it is. You go through the Stargate, boom, you're wherever you're supposed to be. No time has passed as far as the game world is concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, and I'm, I'm, and I. Uh, matter of fact, I just reached. If you heard me, that my chair creaking. I just reached to get my D20 future and table six. Dash four on page 101 of that book, you have fantastic travel times. And so it's got everything from Earth to the Moon to Earth to Alpha Centauri. And it has half, three quarters, one, five, 10, 15, and 25 times light speed. And with the math, I mean, they actually did the math for it. So obviously, one light year at light speed is going to take you one year. Now, five times the speed of light one light year will take you 2.4 months. 10, 1.2 months. 15, 8 tenths of a month. And 25 times the light speed, that one light year will take you 0.48 months. Now let's do Sun to Alpha Centauri. At normal light speed, because Alpha Centauri is 4.4 light years away, hey, that's 4.4 years of your life gone. Or yeah. you can have it where... It's 4.4 light years later, and you don't age. Which is more likely, because you're assuming you're traveling at light speed when you do it, which means that you're not aging. Time dilation. So, so yeah. at 25 times the speed of light, a trip from our solar system to Alpha Centauri takes 2.1 months. And that's at 25 times the speed of light. Now, the warp drives, I mean... If, if you know your, your Star Trek and you know where Vulcan is, why it took them only minutes to get there at maximum warp is because Earth to Vulcan, that that 
uh, astrogation info is always kept up to date because there were constant trips between Earth and Vulcan all the time. It was one of the Federation core planets. They had vessels going back and forth all the time. And with galactic drift and interstellar drift, that that's another thing. That information has to be kept up constantly. And that's something that they put in the Star Wars D20 game, is that if your information is old, that adds to the DC of your astrogation check. So that's another problem, is, yeah, it takes time. You also have to plot your course due to how fresh your astrogation information is. Oh, well, the the star moved 0.5 millimeters. That's still enough to make things really nasty if you do it wrong. Okay, well, I'm just saying is that if, if I'm playing a game, uh, if that... If that happens, if I blow my astrogation check or something like that, I want me basically to be delayed. I find myself out in the middle of nowhere. You know, where I actually want to go is over there. I don't I, I don't I don't want, you know, to basically not make the trip at all. Like I screwed it up and I didn't go anywhere. Yeah, they say you're off like, oh, two D twelve times ten light years or whatever, and you have to replot your course. There's some really bad where no, your hyperdrive's blown and you got to rebuild it and, you know, um, what's the term? Rig up new parts to rebuild it and get back, which that means... You got a jury. Exactly, yeah. I was trying to find a term and not, you know, find one that might be bad, you know. Um, but, yeah. But, see, one, one of the advantages of, 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 uh, of it taking a while for you to get somewhere is the fact that things can happen on the trip that actually adds, you know, adds interest to the game. Well, yeah, because like like Star Trek, yeah, it'll take them like 10 minutes to get to Vulcan. You could still have an encounter happen in 10 minutes. Something goes wrong in, on a part of the ship and you got to deal with it while you're in warp. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, things can happen like an, uh, an item might malfunction on, on uh, because it's... Because of bad maintenance, just luck of the draw, somebody sabotaged it, you know, uh, bought, you know, bought, bought some, you know, poor quality to begin with, and it was just his time. Uh, people could hack you, you know, uh, and uh, either internally or externally. Um, there might be a mutiny. During so sabotage. It. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, but it could also be a mutiny. It could be that, you know, while you're traveling, somebody decides to uh, say, hey, you know, we don't like the captain or what the captain's been doing, so we're going to take over the ship and uh, give it to this bunch of people we just dropped out of deep freeze. Yeah. <laughs> a game we call Incursion. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> so that can happen. Uh, I mean, if you literally just instantaneously get from one location to another... Uh, then you miss out these opportunities to actually have, you know, more of a role-playing experience, okay? That, well, that's why in the D20 future they have, uh, what is it? i got to get up and get the book again because I thought I was done. Um, what do they call that here? It's, I want to say it's a spatial, yeah, spatial compressor, which basically allows the ship to travel from one star system to another instantaneously. Yeah, I, I want some things in my space game where, yeah, you are traveling and you are traveling at an incredibly faster rate than the speed of light. 
but I still want to be able to do stuff on the ship. I've run a couple Star Trek campaigns, and I'm running, well, technically like one and a half now. My bureau game on Saturdays has occasional trips to the Kelvin universe, and then there's another one where they're in the Kelvin universe three years before the bureau game. Yes, time travel, it's a pain in the butt. My players get headaches. But during that time in Warp, I tell them, okay, it's going to take you four days to get to this world. So that gives my players the time to build, help work on gadgets or devices or plot, or I can throw something at them. Because it's four days to get from, like, Earth to, say, Bajor, you know, something like that. I want to have that time. That That's why I don't really use that spatial compressor when I do the D20 future shipbuilding. I just, I don't like it. It's It, it makes things too easy. Yeah. So you want there to be time spent in traveling from one place to yes, another? Yes, because you don't like the instant. No, 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 travel. no. If you, if you, okay. wa- and I, and I agree. If with you, you want that, if you that. want that, just you know, be a mage and cast interplanetary teleport. You know, yeah, right. But but things have to happen. Yes. While you're doing that, otherwise it becomes a total bore. Yeah. I get very bored about flying at super speed through space, trying to get from one world to another when nothing's going to happen except I get to look at the scenery for another 15 minutes. Uh, I believe it was Star Trek 60 Undersevered Country when Sulu was racing the Excelsior. I mean, yeah, it's still Star Trek, but you felt that tension as Sulu was trying to, you know... Hall asked to get to help Kirk and them. And he's like, go faster, sir. If we go faster, we'll fly apart. Fly her apart then! Because you're, you know, he's, it's that tension building up in the plot of Sulu getting there to help his former captain with the whole thing at the, the Kittimer Accords. You know, with the assassination and all that. You know, with, yeah. So, yeah, you still have that tension there because something's happening. Right. And the final the final thought I have for this this particular episode so we need to stop is the fact is that you can uh, when it does take you time to go from one world to another, you can use that time to your advantage. Okay? It could be time that's used to develop skills, it could be time that's used to fix or upgrade the ship. It's it could uh, it's actually uh, uh, in some cases it's built into the whole design of the ship. That um, that you that part of the of the mission is done on a world, and part of the mission is done on the trip home. The Nostromo from Aliens, they got all this this oil and uh, and crude and stuff from these alien some alien location, and then on the way home, it took like. 10 years to get there and they, everybody was going to be in hypersleep but the, the ship itself was refinery and by the time they got home it was refined into whatever pure products they wanted to sell they used the time while they were traveling in uh, hypers you know faster than light travel whatever they were using to go to, in order to basically have a a, a much more valuable product when they arrived rather than just simply being a giant tanker that went from, you know, one, you know, one world to another. So 
that's, you know, because a lot of people say is that, you know, the, the billion dollar, well, I think uh, it was either someone wrote it, John told me about it, the billion dollar bottle of wine, saying is it's so, unless space travel is exceedingly cheap, a bottle of wine taken from one, one world to another would end up costing a billion dollars by the time it got there based upon time and all these other things involved in getting it there. So um, it's a good idea if you have some way of redeeming the time, you know, taking advantage of it and making sure that when you get to wherever you're going to, that safe time, theoretically, that you've been involved in in that trip is actually good for you. It's been, it's, it's prepared you for your next, your next quest. All right. Well, that's. Uh, I think that's all we have time for tonight. We still have quite a bit to go through, so we will. Uh, we definitely be doing a second uh, uh, session, recording session on this. So thanks everybody for listening to us so far. Uh, we still have lots more exploration to do, plus another. Uh, I think another eight. Uh, I'm sorry, another three items. Uh, which are has many many sub sub items listed under them. So yeah, it'll be an episode by itself. Thanks everybody for being with us. We will have more for you next week, but you'll have to wait until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts, is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license, no commercial reproduction, and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.